crowd is here clearly to see Danny Moses and Jim Chanos. Definitely not me and Dan, but thanks for joining us, everyone. And Dan and I do a show each day at 1 o'clock. We call it Market Call. So this is a special edition of Market Call with Danny Moses and Jim Chanos. So thank you. And we'll get right into it, Jim. The macro backdrop, I mean, given everything we've seen, given where rates were, where rates are now, I just had a panel with Mike Novogratz, was Mike and I, and we talked about this is one of the more confusing backdrops we've seen. And I say that because if you're bullish, there's something for you. If you're bearish, there's clearly something for you. And the market's sort of trying to figure it all out right in front of our eyes. What are your thoughts just sort of on the macro level? Um, I might take a little issue with the markets trying to sort it all out or the markets confused. I, I think the market is pretty, pretty excited. I mean, I, I said last night, Nirvana. Um, and if you think about it, the market is priced in based on, on forward-looking stuff. Uh, the, the reality that Goldilocks is pretty much a certainty, right? I mean, mm -hmm. earnings are supposed to be up 12% this year in the S&P. Uh, forward look on inflation is between 2 and 3%. And the market is assuming the Fed's going to be easing at some point you know, within the next year. That's all pretty, you know, I think that's all pretty bullish. Now, whether it's right or not correct, that remains to be seen. Marco Kalanovic from J.P. Morgan, he's actually said that at current levels, Jim, the market is pricing in this sort of soft landing Goldilocks scenario. It sounds like if I'm listening to you, you think it's a bit of a pipe dream here. Well, I mean, it's, I think it's going to be, it might be difficult for all three of those things to happen, and none of them might happen. But the market is certainly pricing in right now that, that all three are, are the most likely scenario. So uh, the risk reward, I think, uh, is, is getting even more interesting um, in my world because people are, are getting increasingly, increasingly excited about prospects that they were pretty dour on six months ago. Danny, you get painted with a bit of a narrow brush, unfairly, I think, the guy that's always negative bearish, which is just patently false. But I think you also, Jim does as well, extraordinarily rigorous work. And you've seen what's going on, and we had conversations about this all the time, and it's been a real honor getting to know you and calling you my friend. But same question to you. Again, market trying to figure things out. There's enough for both sides of the aisle to have a very, I think, cogent and it's a pretty strong argument. Yeah, I mean, as hectic as 2022 was, I felt like it was the first time in a very long time that stock, stock picking mattered, bottom-up work actually mattered. We rolled the calendar in 2023, and I certainly didn't think that we would have this rally that we did because I believe that we're going to hand off from this Fed obsession to fundamentals and what it actually means. And I think back to you know, 2005, 6, and 7, um, when we were breaking down the housing market, it already had cracks in 04, 05, 06. The Fed was raising rates. And it's, it's no, I mean, it's not a coincidence that the Fed basically went to 5% in 2006, but it wasn't until October of 2007 that the market actually peaked. So I think this market has all been about immediate gratification, FOMO, missing things. And when you take a step back, yes, we've had a nice rally, but it, it feels like it's under false pretense to a degree to me. It doesn't mean you can't own certain things, mm -hmm. but I think we're in for a very rough ride just on index levels, but then again, opportunities will come out. But I do think there are some fat pitches on the short side and some individual names, and probably will be on the long side soon. So. We'll talk about that. Dan, you tend to be a bit more prag the pragmatist, it, it, at least when it comes to me and you. I mean, I, I try to sort of, I don't know, parse through things. I'm always what can go wrong, will go wrong. I was born on that Wall Street, you know, prepare for the worst, hope for the best. 
you tend to have a little more even keel. And a lot of the things that you've talked about come into fruition. Again, inflation trending the right way, commodity prices going lower, unemployment rate sticky but moving maybe in the right direction but not in a meaningful way. The world might be setting up for exactly what Jim sort of talked about a few minutes ago. Yeah, I guess the one thing I would just say is that, like, like these guys just said, I think the exuberance that we've seen in the last really couple months, it's, re- it's, it's in the major index, indexes for the first time, right, in January right now, because you're looking at a NASDAQ that's up 10%, an S&P that's up 5%. You're looking at no shortage. There's dozens of stocks that are up 25, 30, 40%. And fundamentally, guys like you are looking at them and you're saying, these stocks are shorts. Where they were trading three months ago, was the right price here. When I think about the, the, the markets in general, though, I say to myself, okay, so rates have gone the 10-year, four and a quarter to three and a half. The U.S. dollar index from 115 to 102. Um, High-yield credit is hanging in there. I mean, there's no shortage of things where you just say it's a pretty good backdrop for stocks, especially after the bear market that we had. The S&P topped out the first week of January 2022. We know that there's large pockets of the market that have been going down far before that. So to me, that's, I guess, the silver lining of everything. But I just don't love to see this sort of behavior in such a short period of time. It does seem a little irrational. Danny, I've said it all the time, and I'll stand by this. I've written about it. I've said it. I'll say it here. I think amongst the many villains of the 21st century, and there are many, central bankers are going to be at the top of the list. But seemingly, right, right before our very eyes, they're trying to navigate something that's never been done before. Meanwhile, by the way, financial conditions are actually looser than they've been in a really weird sort of set. I don't think people fully comprehend what that means. Speak to that. Yeah, so I don't envy their position, but I don't blame them per se. You just have to act based upon what they're kind of doing. So to your point, um, what does Powell look for and what's going to happen tomorrow? I hate to trade near term and certain data points. He looks at those financial conditions index and it is the easiest it's been since they started this entire uh, rate hike cycle. So that's not a great setup. As far as quantitative tightening, I believe that's going to end sometime in the late spring, early summer, I think, when these lag effect of these rate hikes come more into the markets and really stick themselves into companies that need to refinance balance sheets that are going to be trying to get new debt, right? You look at Moody's reported today, right? Strong quarter, fine, because they said there's a huge backlog of things that are going to come, right? Uh, When that paper gets issued at much higher rates, it just changes Jim will tell you, I mean, it changes your balance sheet, it changes your earnings, it changes everything. So I, I think this handoff is going to, going to occur from the Fed obsession to fundamentals. And when that does happen, it's not, I don't think it's going to be pretty. So. Well, Jim, speak to that exactly. I mean, that backdrop that we've talked about and where it is a Fed obsession without question. I mean, we, talk, we seemingly talk about the Federal Reserve nightly on fast money. I mean, it, I can't remember a show where we haven't. Are we too obsessed with it? Fundamentals do matter. And I think at a certain point, the Federal Reserve is what it is sort of thing. And then we're going to have to look at the fundamentals, valuations, earnings, earnings, all those things that historically have mattered. Yeah. Um, well, we were talking before this panel in, in the, the green room about how the fact that nobody looks at balance sheets anymore when they're looking at, at, at companies. And you know, there's so much obsession now and so much trading volume that, that has picked up in velocity, whether it's option trading, um, uh, overall trading, and, and everyone's time frame has shortened dramatically, and I've, I've talked about this, and the concept of positioning matters more than fundamentals. Um, and and I, I hear it all the time from people who tell me, well, you know, 
they're buying some worth, literally worthless piece of paper, a worthless equity, because the debt's trading at 20 cents on the dollar, 25 cents on the dollar. And I think, yeah, but there's, you know, there's a short position in it. Uh, yeah, there's a short position in it because it's a worthless piece mm -hmm. of paper. But it doesn't matter over the short run, that worthless piece of paper can double. And I've made the observation since the peak in speculative behavior, which was, I think, the first quarter of 2021, which I've said has been the most speculative short period in my 40-year career. Um, and that goes back you know, to the dot-com era and, and the roaring 80s. Um, every time the so-called meme stocks and high short interest stocks, and basically the garbage, has you know, taken off, that's been the end of the rally, not the beginning of the rally. And we're seeing that now to right a now. certain extent, yeah, yeah. right? I mean, oh, you yeah. can name a few, I'm mean, Danny can as well, but speak to, let me ask you this question, and it's not a loaded question at all, but is your job, again, you get painted with that noted short, famed short seller we hear all the time, but is it more difficult to be that person now, or in some ways, has it become easier to be that person now? It's been, the low point for us in that job, if you will, was 2020 and early 2021. So it's obviously gotten easier. Um, our, you know, my job is to, to hedge portfolios for my clients in a, in a much more cost-efficient way than just buying, you know, buying S&P puts. And that, ha that has not only happened since 2021, but it's gotten cheaper to implement. Having said that, the volatility has increased, meaning we are getting increasingly you know, volatile rallies in, in the garbage, right? So, so the stuff that goes down a lot snaps back a lot. Now that happened in you know, 2001 and 2002. You're old enough to remember that. I mean, there were, I think, 10 or 12, 25% rallies in the NASDAQ yep. on its way to being down 80%. Speak to that, Danny, because again, timing in, in our world is clearly important. More so, though, when you're trying to bet against things. And the clarity you have, both of you guys, I mean, the, it's there, it's right before, you're seeing it manifest, play itself out, yet you're watching things move sometimes in ways that you can never have imagined. How do you navigate that? Well, you have to understand that the markets are always geared to move higher. What do I mean by that? Wall Street is set up in a way where 70% of the ratings are buy ratings. That doesn't mean as much to me, but people should understand that you've got to peel back the cover and start to really look at these companies themselves. And so, you know, I think the, the setup right now has never been better for stock picking. Being a short seller, I don't think anyone should be cast that way, but you're almost a truth seeker. And it's almost that you want to help people. Like, you see it, right? You own this company, you see it, right? I've always said, if I'm bullish on a name, I want to talk to a bear. If I'm bearish on a name, I want to talk to the bull. And it's just facts. And I like to equate it to poker. I mean, at some point, you got to show your cards, and mm -hmm. the cards will speak. And so, listen, you got to be very careful. You got to be very smart, right? You got to understand there's a lot of technicals that go into it. There's short interest. There's, you know, when I hear certain people that are finally shorter name or reaches the press, it's probably time to cover, as I'm sure Jim would agree. So, you, you got to trade between the emotions, but at the end of the day, unless the story has changed fundamentally, you're not going to change your position over time, and it's sizing. So there's an art to it. Anyone can buy a stock, right? Anybody. It's hard to short. It's not hard to get a short off. It's hard to manage a short position. Yeah, right? and most people shouldn't short stocks for, for the most part here. You know, it's interesting, Guy, you mentioned that, you know, we spend more time than you can ever remember talking about the Fed each night on CNBC's Fast Money, and for the most part, that is a retail 
focused program, right? It's not professionals like we have in the audience. Maybe you're looking, tuning in for guys' good looks or something like that. You but, should. But, but it's interesting, you know, I used to get this question all the time. They're like, why do you guys spend so much time talking about Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon, you know, like literally a disproportionate Tesla throw it in there. And, you know, for us, it's like 40% of the NDX, the NASDAQ 100, were these four or five stocks, and they were 25% of the S&P 500, huge contributors to the, you know, earnings, um, you know, that's a... But what's interesting, Jim, and you mentioned this last night, you were on our show on Fast Money, I asked you the question because we've seen this massive rotation over the last, call it three or four months, out of mega cap tech, it's underperformed on a relative basis, and you've seen huge moves in energy, in industrials, in financials, that sort of thing. And so talk to us a little bit about what you think the opportunities on names that are not buy now, pay later, that aren't you know some of the crap without earnings or SPACs or this and that or whatever, because is, this op- is, is it presenting an unusually interesting opportunity to short some stuff that, you know, generally the investing public thinks are good names to buy and hold for a long period of time. Yeah, it's a little bit of a different setup, but it's really interesting. Um, and, and again, getting back to nobody who's looking at balance sheets. What we're seeing in those kinds of companies, um, large industrials and, and companies that have gotten back in favor in the last nine months as tech has sold off, is those, a lot of those companies are increasingly struggling to make their numbers um, and, and are getting rewarded so far for it. Um, and so we're looking at big companies where we're seeing big increases in receivables and inventory, where they're just making their profit estimates. Um, sales may be flat or, or slightly up, but receivables are up 40%, inventories are up 40%. And historically, that tells you that there's a disappointment coming as, as in effect, uh, profits are being enhanced by the balance sheet. There are losses embedded in the balance sheet. They're going to have to be recognized. And that's just as old as corporate finance 101, and a lot of people have kind of forgotten those skills. And if you look at that, and you look at those kinds of stories, um, those are kinds of stocks that are going to hit air pockets when the reality hits that, you know, the costs in the inventory account. So... Uh, I'll give you just a, a, a plain vanilla example, and we have a very small position. It's not a big position, but we were intrigued by Nike going up from 80 to 126. And Nike is going to have even forecasted the next four quarters earnings are going to be below the last four quarters. It's trading at roughly 40 times, but what balance sheet unless there's huge risk in the earnings. Yeah, and part of that is going to be, well, Jim, China reopening, and that's why I totally get it. And Danny, I think we need to work on Jim's mic, but... You talk about this all the time, Danny. Read the Q's and K's, which reading leaves me out by definition, but for a lot of other people, they do the work behind it. Now, one thing you've said, and I've learned this from you over the last couple of years, the best short isn't when something goes from, you know, all-time highs down 60%. The best short is subsequent to that, that next iteration, when people starting to actually figure it out. And it played out in a name like Carvana, not to pick on that, but that, that's a classic example. And it's playing out in some other names as well. Speak to that, because you know you do, both of you, by the way, do the rigorous work behind it, and then it seems like people catch up to where you were maybe three, four, five months or so ago. Yeah, when you, when you make that transition from a multiple of revenue, something that appears to be a growth company, when that stops, what is your next level? What are you going to value it on? Is it cash flow? Well, how real is your cash flow? Are you using you know, EBITDA? Are you adjusting it out? And so it, more eyes come to it. And Wall Street obviously will maintain buy ratings and buy ratings for corporate fees and so forth, and then it's kind of over. So in a name like Carvana, for example, went from 350 to 80, and they raised money again at $80. Oh, that's going to say, well, the business model's broken. 
So it doesn't matter what you raise, it doesn't matter how much money you raise, if it's broken, it's gonna suck it up. So to me, those are opportunities, and when you finally see it right in front of you, you realize that people are starting to recognize it, that's when you go for the juggler, so to speak. That's yeah, those, are, those, yeah. are, those are different kind of shorts. Yeah. You know, they're not the Nike, uh, or, or the, those are, are terminal shorts because the business model doesn't work, right? So, so a friend of mine in Carvana is in the car business, he said, you know, shipping cars one by one across the country will never, use cars, will never make money. And, and you can dress it up anywhere you want, but you just can't. That's why used car lots are local. And take a look at the gig economy of companies. Look at DoorDash. DoorDash's losses per order are actually going up after 10 years. 10 years. They still, and they didn't make money during the pandemic. When every, we're all ordering meals in and getting checks from the government. And so, you know, maybe that's a business model problem, not a valuation issue. And if it's a business model problem, then you have a really interesting long-term short. Yeah, well, I think that back to the Q's and K's, you can learn a lot from reading through them. It's annoying. Don't depend on analysts to give you all the lowlights, right? Uh, and you, you can look at both the highlights and the lowlights, but they give you a real feeling of current temperature of the company itself and kind of where it's going. So I use those a lot uh, to kind of either confirm a bias or maybe take one away uh, that might be the case. And so today you get, you know, a 10K comes out and I don't want to talk about Tesla, waste our time here. But when you read something like that, you know, it's overwhelming. You can pick and choose. But I want to say one more thing. So when you're relying on the government in general or the SEC or the NHTSA or whatever it might be, to come through, they won't really touch a lot of these companies until the stocks are down 85 or 90 percent because they don't want to be blamed by the public for ruining their position and so forth. So be very aware of that. When a company starts to trade down and you think that they've done something nefarious that a regulator might get them, I'm not just talking about Tesla in general, that's going to come. And so, you know, anyway, so just there's a lot that goes into it. Jim, they took wolves out of Yellowstone and the entire ecosystem broke down and they reintroduced them and the ecosystem thrived. And there's a reason I'm bringing that up because I would submit short sellers are a vital, a vital part of the market without question, yet you've been vilified. I mean, it happens seemingly, not you specifically, but that set of investors. Speak to that, how important, I think it's extraordinarily important. Danny can speak to this. They provide sort of the road, sort of the speed bumps along the way. Speak to the importance of what you do. Yeah, short sellers, um, I teach a course on the history of financial fraud. Short sellers have been vilified since the 1600s. It's as old as, as you know, modern financial markets. And, and we see it in every cycle. But the reality is, is that you can't have efficient markets, number one, without frictionless short selling, but per the academics. And of course, frictionless short selling doesn't exist. Because if it did, you know, things like AMC and APE would, would not exist, right? The, the retail public is overpaying for one, which is equal to the other one, uh, in, in six weeks. This happened in the dot-com era, for example, when, when companies famously spun off their high-tech subs and the public bid up the subs to a value more than the entire parent. And the spreads only came in when the stocks became borrowable. And so the ability to set prices without owning an asset beforehand is crucial to price discovery, right? So that's number one, that's the academic view. The more practical view is that short sellers have an economic interest to ferret out fraud. And that's something that the SEC has long acknowledged, that, that the ability of, of short sellers to go after major frauds 
the Enrons, the wire cards, those kinds of situations is an important market function. About 15 months or so ago, Danny, you were bearish. And then you came on our podcast, which I encourage everybody here to download on their favorite application or podcast store, which is such not, I, I can't even believe I say that. I feel like such a young person. Anyway, check out our podcast. It's pretty cool. But you went from being bearish to being scared. And that actually got my antenna up. And over the last week or so, I think you're starting to see similar things manifest themselves where, again, you're going from bearish to being, I don't want to say scared, but clearly concerned. Scared, excited, you know, it could be a little. But, well, for uh, you, it's. Yeah, no, I was going to say one just quick comment. I mean, if, if there's terminal shorts that Jim mentioned, and then there's just valuation shorts, right, for the most part, which are much harder to time. But if you have a real company that's having issues, but it's going to be around, the most powerful longs are the ones with a high short interest, meaning sometimes your best cover is your best long, and sometimes your best sell is your best short. So it is a natural buyer. There is no other natural buyer in a market of a company that's not a terminal short than a short seller, because at some point they need to buy that stock back. So I just wanted to make that comment. As far as the setup right now, again, it's, it's nonsense as far as the meme stocks. These aren't, again, I think we're in a much more sophisticated room than than you know, we, we would talk to normally, but at the same time, and many people don't own those, I'm sure, in here. To me, it's just an unhealthy, uh, scary thing because they keep getting drawn in. I mean, you think about this. Think about a GameStop, for instance. On the market cap, six billion, eight billion, whatever. That has probably churned on an eight billion market cap, 25 to 30 billion in losses in the last four or five months in terms of the gyrations, up, down, side, because the, an option premium. The whole FOMO of this, right, Buy it back at 22, sell it at 13. Buy it back at 15. Oh, I don't want to miss it. So that's what bothers me, actually, is the unhealthiness and what. And crypto is part of that too. And and crypto's fine; it'll be around. But I, I viewed crypto as at the peak. I don't know, two and a half, three trillion dollar company, or if I want to separate Bitcoin and Ethereum yeah. to it. So to me, it's kind of the, the same thing as FOMO thing. So I'm nervous for what I think lies ahead. And we just were with Mike Wilson before. You guys know who he is from Morgan Stanley strategist, we were just talking before the show, and I'm trying to stay level-headed here, but this is about as, I would say, where the market is right now, this is bearish as I've been in my entire career, it's not even close. Am I fully positioned that way? No, but it, it's, I really- Hold on a second, say that again for <laughs> emphasis. I'm as bearish as I've been, not that the world is ending, because 2006, seven were different, but I'm as bearish as I've been from evaluation in the markets. There's things to own, but this is about as ripe as it's been. Yeah, and the only problem, is, you know, when you think about it, it, you know, I go back to 20 years ago, it really took a protracted bear market, um, you know, uh, you know post-dot-com bubble to really destroy retail. I mean, when you think about it, right? And if you think, you know, in 08 was the only year during the financial crisis the stock market was down. You know, COVID, we didn't even have, we had a, a 35% crash in, in about a month and a half or two months. And within months, we're making new highs and was off to the races and all the silliness started. So if you think about last year, if we threw $5 trillion at our economy, at the markets, you know, liquidity, and we had a down 20% in the S&P 500, that, that's it? Like, that's the only thing that's going to come out of this? And so, Jim, I'm just well, curious. Well, like, when, I, when I said the first quarter of 2021 was the most speculative market, that I've seen in 40 years. Does anybody know where the S&P ended in the first quarter of 2021? Right here, 4,100. So the market actually went higher for the next nine months. 4,800. sold up. Yeah. But we're, this is nothing. I mean, in terms of what we saw build up in 2020 and 2021, which has started to unwind, 
It is like the dot-com era on steroids. So real, real quickly, okay, so at the highs in 2000, um, you know, Fed funds was at 6%, and the highs, as you just said, Danny, Fed funds was at 5% in 07. Here we are, um, we're at 4,100, right where we were in 2021 in January, down from 4,800, and we're gonna have Fed funds at 5% in March. So how does the market, how do we come out of a bear market with the Fed funds at 5%? Jim, you want to, I mean, I, I well, think they'll I mean, be cutting. Again, so. a short rates, yeah. bear markets have, have happened with rates going up and rates going down. Um, it, it's really, a, they're squeezing out the excesses of previous cycles. And I think that's what we've sort of begun. Doesn't mean it happens all at once. I mean, it's, again, it took, in the 60s, it took 16 years, 66 to 82. Uh, in Japan, it's taken decades. Um, so you never know. Um, but what you should prepare for is that there is a decent chance that, that things could go a lot lower than everybody thinks. And I don't think anybody's positioned for that. I think the system is so financialized and 13 years of easy money printing, you don't just get that on a 20% downdraft in the market and you're, you're better in you know, a year or something. It's going to take a long time to kind of cycle through. And I know there's allocators here, there's brilliant money managers here, and I'm sure everyone can navigate this well. So I know the purpose of this conference is to people to match up and meet, and there's a lot of talented people that can make money in, in any environment. And so I love it, because I think there'll be as many buying opportunities as there will be selling opportunities in the long run. Jim, before we 5,000, I'd be remiss. On Fast Money last night, you mentioned it, so I'll mention it here. The, the absurdity of some of the things that are coming out of a name, a venerable name like General Electric, which yeah. we all bowed at the altar of GE for years. It, you found some absurdities within some of the things they reported. Well, GE's a poster child for what I was talking about. So uh, they are splitting up, they split up their healthcare unit. GE puts out a press release, and one of my big things is the, the reliance on pro forma metrics. I think a lot of corporate fraud is happening right in front of your very eyes by abuse of pro forma um, accounting metrics. GE's press releases are anywhere from you know, 15 to 30 pages of adjustments. Um, and and GE's a good example of what we talked about. It is basically up 60, 70 percent uh, as earnings estimates have come down. Venerable GE right now is trading on our numbers at 20 times EBITDA for 2023 and 40 to 50 times declining earnings. That's GE, mm -hmm. right? And 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 with all and that's with all the adjustments, uh, they barely made any money last year in, on a gap basis, and and. So people are, are I, I don't know exactly what they're looking at in some of these companies, but they're not looking at the financial statements. Danny? Not G specifically, but you know, that this environment is wrought with situations like that. Yeah, like I think you started out this by saying money came out of big tech, it's been looking to find a home, it thinks it's safe in some of these big US conglomerates, right, that are out the Nikes, the GEs, these big names, but it's scary to Jim's point because on those names, yes, they're not going bankrupt more than likely. It's come to be around. But if you're hiding in those, that may cause problems. Is it safe? Marathon man <laughs> wasn't safe. Before we get out of here, are you more exercised, Jim, by General Electric or the fact that your Green Bay Packers might not see the playoffs again for the next decade? Quick thoughts on that. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm 
an owner and a shareholder of the Green Bay Packers, so I'm conflicted from commenting on them. Yeah, noted. <laughs> Appreciated. I will answer that for you. You're going to be in salary cap hell for the next eight years. Everybody, thanks for joining us. Time doesn't allow anymore. Thank you. But thanks a lot. Jim, Danny, Dan, thanks so much. Thank you.